Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody, once again, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and uh, very excited to have you joining me this evening. We've got a great show for you. We're going to be starting out here in just a moment uh, with the Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by Dan Anderson. He's the COO and CMO, as well as the development coach at the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation. He's going to be joining me here on the second half of the show. Originally, uh, Kelly McKinnon, uh was going to join him, but unfortunately he's uh, on the road and is not going to be uh, calling in, so Dan's uh, going to be on here and do that. So let me introduce tonight's panel, and then we'll get into our discussion tonight on Coach's Corner. Uh, first up, of course, is Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's a Class A LPJ teacher professional, a six-degree Aikido black belt, uh, also a somatic uh, psychologist, corporate speaker, and mind-body fitness trainer. She's also a Phi Beta Kappa graduate from Stanford University, and is the creator of the TI Golf, uh, the Centered Way. Also joining uh, tonight's uh, show is Sue Weger. He is, uh, she is a number one best-selling international author, motivational speaker, and peak performance coach. She's a 24-plus year LPJ Class A golf professional and the owner of the Weger Consulting LLC. So, ladies, welcome to Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. Thanks for Thank having you, us, Ted. Ted. Yeah, really. Always, uh, really, it's a pleasure and an honor, really, to be here. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it, and, and as always, thank you both for uh, breaking away from your schedules and, and coming on to, to join us this evening. All right, so we're going to talk about a few different things, sort of as I was just uh, getting ready to say before we went live, is we're going to have a sort of a mixed bag, of, uh, if you will, of, of uh, discussion tonight. We're going to talk about uh, everything from a little bit of nutrition, fitness, uh, golf fitness, if you will, um, how to prioritize your time, uh, sort of how to balance your, your daily life and golf and family and all that kind of stuff. And then we're also going to slip in there some trouble shots as well um, that maybe you guys can help some of the golfers out there. We all have some trouble out in the golf course, and we'll see if we can isolate some of the common ones that uh, they might be faced with. Jamie, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to ask too also, because um, I know sometimes things happen that if you're not the one that's addressing uh, the question, if you can temporarily mute your mic, because sometimes it picks up uh, background noises and things like that. So um, I'm going to go to you first, Jamie. Um, and we're going to talk about nutrition. That's an area that I think a lot of golfers uh, neglect. Um, you know, we all want to sort of eat what we want and uh, try to, you know, for the best part, eat somewhat healthy. But there's a lot of golfers that especially as we get older, we kind of run out of steam a little bit. And part of that is because we're not eating nutritionally very well. 
So I know we can't necessarily get into a regimented diet necessarily is what I'm saying, but I think there are some good habits that we can do that are going to help uh, people eat. And maybe you can throw in some golf fitness in there as well uh, to sort of add an extra oomph, if you will, into the discussion. So what are some thoughts as far as nutrition? How can we better prepare ourselves nutritionally to get out there and last a little longer in the golf course and play better? It's interesting that you asked that. I was just speaking with a friend of mine. <clears throat> She's um, uh, just came back from St. Andrews, and she was with a, a very big event with the Rotary Club Rotarian. So I guess several hundred were out there. And uh, her caddy from St. Andrews, uh, she said that she got some good tips. And I said, well, give me an example. She said, well, for example... She said, you know, I noticed that you start running out of gas on the 13th, 14th hole every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I suggest that you have some more snacks with you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that it seems to me nutritionally based, that it's not about your golf and it's not even about your sleep. It's not that you're getting tired. You just sort of run out of gas. And I think it's about nutrition. And so she mm-hmm. said, wow, that's really interesting to me. And this was someone who didn't know her, right? And um, so sure enough, she uh, kind of made sure to eat a few more snacks along the way, and she didn't run out of gas the rest of those days. And uh, she ended up being uh, winning in whatever her part of the competition was, which was really interesting. Right. And uh, so that was specifically the the thing that she pointed to when I asked her, well, what was the tip your, your St. Andrew's caddy gave you? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that, you know, it's what you said. It is very, very important to, uh, I think, uh, eat. Uh, if you're playing in the morning, be sure you do have a good breakfast, even if you're not a breakfast eater, which I'm not much of a breakfast eater myself. However, mm-hmm. if I'm going to play golf, I'm, sur- I'm sure to um, you know, have some eggs, have some protein, whatever. And, um, and have a few snacks with me, whether that's bananas or um, a trail mix, a, a, a granola bar, that sort of thing, or maybe at the turn, um, eat something. And again, I'm not someone who happens to eat a whole lot during the day, but um, those things are really important uh, golfing. So, uh, and in general, right? I mean, you can't just be drinking coffee and uh, eating sugar or not eating anything. And hydration, of course, is a part of that. So, um, that's always something that I pay attention to and I'm sure that all my golfers pay attention to is the hydration aspect of things. And in terms of fitness, that's another thing. I've always been very happy and proud. I must say this, uh, to say that uh, with my fitness program, my Golf Bliss Fitness, right, Balance, Lengthen, Integrate, Stretch, Strengthen, that almost all of my students tell me that <clears throat> they make it to the 18th and even the 19th hole with enough energy and without feeling sore. Uh, and that's because mm-hmm. they do fitness and they do a golf-related fitness. They can do it every day at home. They can do it even on the golf course because it's the, you know, make your golf club your health club, use your golf club. And, you know, they're not hurting. They're taking less Advil. And, in fact, yesterday I'm in Oregon right now, and I was playing with an LPGA friend of mine who's a former tour player who's now in her 70s. And um, we stopped on the golf course. We had time, and we did a few exercises because she just said, you know, there's a couple places she feels tight, and she knows that that's limiting her. So we did exercises on the course just because we could. We had a little time, 
she started swinging easier, hitting the ball better. And at lunch, she said, oh, my God, I thank you so much because I'm not hurting. I usually I sit here at lunch and I'm hurting and I'm going to go home and have to you know, take a, a hot uh, whatever. And uh, so the fitness aspect is so important. And that is involved with performance and peak optimal performance. If you're hurting, if your um, blood sugar is low, those things really can impact your performance and your staying power through 18 holes. Yeah, and those are some great points. I'm going to just quickly go back to nutrition for a second. You know, you're right. A lot of people don't necessarily have a, uh, don't always eat breakfast, um, which obviously, you know, uh, we need to slap ourselves on the on the hand for that because we do. That is the be- mo- really the most important meal of the day is to get a good start. But if you're not going to, and particularly if you're going to be heading out to the golf course, I agree. You know, you need to have something, whether it's a, maybe a granola bar or, um, you know, uh, some trail mix or something or even a, a banana and a, and a muffin, a healthy muffin, obviously, something just to give you a little bit of energy. You don't want to get hopped up on sugar. And if you are somebody that just has to have your morning coffee, um, that's okay. I would recommend decaf, which is what I've started doing over the years because uh, I like to have that nice warm cup of coffee in the morning, but I switch to decaf and uh, I don't get that hopped up feeling and I don't use sugar or anything, so I'm pretty safe there. But it, it's important to do that because people don't realize, even though golf is not an endurance sport, uh, we're not running a 100-yard dash, um, it is endurance in another way, and that is you've got to, you know, if you're, assuming you're walking, you're walking 18 holes, and this time of year, depending on where you're playing, it gets can get pretty steamy. Um, so if you don't have anything there, and as you also pointed out, Jamie, is uh, is uh, dehydration. you got to make sure you stay hydrated. That's the number one killer, I think, for a lot of people out in the golf course. Most of them, I think, have the food down all right. They're eating something in the morning, maybe taking some snacks throughout the round so they can uh, keep it going. But it's also important to be hydrated. And if you're starting to get real thirsty somewhere out in the golf course, you're already dehydrated. So um, drink some water. Certainly uh, there's a lot of uh, drinks out there that you can get to, to help you hydrate it. I don't necessarily recommend, and I'm not trying to slam anybody, uh, Gatorade's not probably the best because it's hopped up with a lot of sugar, but there are a lot of uh, sports drinks out there that are better for you. You have to do a little research, of course, and maybe talk to a, a fitness expert about that. Um, so those are some things to do. And then also the golf fitness. Uh, at the very least, you need to stretch um, properly before you get out on uh, any uh, golf course, even when you're going to the driving range. Um, you need to make sure you're at least stretching and swinging that go- golf club, getting used to the feel of the weight of the club and the club head. Some people even might even throw an extra club in there and swing two of them to have a little bit of weight. You need to do that because you've got to stretch those muscles out and warm them up and get ready uh, for that round. Otherwise, you're going to be playing with tension the whole time. So some very interesting points. I just wanted to add a little bit more in there and just sort of reaffirm what you what you said, uh, but great points. Um, Sue, I want to come to you on this one here, and this goes more to the playing or preparation, and there's really two ways to do this uh, that we're going to talk about. The first one is in a practice session. If you're just going out, maybe you're with your swing coach and you want to get into a full-blown uh, practice session, that's going to be different than a warm-up before a round. So maybe you could touch on how do we prioritize our time on the range. One of the mistakes we see, and I'm going to point this out real quick and then I'm going to let you respond, even in a practice session, a lot of times we see people just raking and hitting balls, and they're hitting a lot of golf balls but not really with any sort of purpose. Uh, and then we get others that get out there on, the, on a warm-up and hit two or three balls, maybe make a couple of putts, and then they're off at the first tee. 
Give us just a, a generalization. If you want somebody coming out for a practice session, what is it that you want them to do on the range? What are, how are we going to get them started and work through a lesson or, or prepare for a lesson? And then I want you to talk to them if they're coming uh, to play a round of golf and they just need to warm up before they get out there, maybe some tips and things that they can do uh, to get the most uh, benefit, if you will, in a, in a warm-up session before the round. Yeah, I think the first thing you have to do is, like you just said, warm up. And um, there's, in regards to stretching, it's just golf is a full-body sport, and there's no doubt about that. So I think the first thing that they have to do is 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 stretch and and then warm up and hitting hitting some golf balls in regards to and I just I tell all my clients I'm like you know what's what's your go-to club what's your not so go not not the not the non-favorite club <laughs> if you if you may and mm-hmm. I just tell them I'm like okay because as as you all know with like vision 54 they talk about um a pre-shot routine and a lot of the times mm-hmm. where a lot of people they go to the driving range and right before they're going to, you know, they warm up, but they don't do any pre-shot routines. So they just, mm-hmm. I'm just going to hit balls. I'm going to hit balls and I'm going to hit balls. And I think before you leave the the driving range and go often, often to the golf course, I think that they should work on a pre-shot routine. So what is their pre-shot routine? A lot of people don't have one. And mm-hmm. I teach a lot of my players. It's like, let's create one. Let's create one for you. And everybody gets to be individual. Um, and and like I said, with the we talk about with the Vision 54 and the Think Box and the and the the Play Box. So we t- I teach all my players about that, and I because we don't want to be thinking over the golf ball. So I think mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is to create a pre-shot routine before you leave um, that practice range, um, so that you just get into a habit of okay, I'm going to be doing this on the on the golf course rather than. I'm just going to go stand up there and hit it. So as as you know, a lot of research has been done with a lot of LPGA and, and PGA Tour players is that from the time that they make a decision from what club they're going to hit, it's a six to eight seconds and they're supposed to hit the golf ball. But you'll see a lot of people that when they're standing over a golf ball, it's 10, 12, 15 seconds before right. they swing. <laughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> right. that's detrimental as you know, it's very detrimental to a golf shot because you can tell that they're thinking about it. Well, as as we all know, you have two sides of your brain. You have the left side of your brain, you have the right side of your brain. And the right side of the brain is your creative side, and you want to be on the creative, playful side when you're over a golf ball because that's what it is. It's, it's called play for a reason. And I think there's just too many people that go to a – uh, go to the practice range and like I'm going to go I'm going to warm up but what what are they really doing in regards to warm up and you'll see that's what I love about the um the PGA and the LPGA they actually go to the driving range like when they do televised um segments like the US Open and you'll see a lot of the players doing their pre-shot routine they're just not banging balls and mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the one of the biggest issues is that we have to teach people like okay what is your pre-shot routine? Do you have one? Maybe you don't have one. Okay, if you don't have one, let's create one for you so that you have a certain rhythm, you have some balance, and you have, um, you know, a, there's some direction to that instead of just going, oh, I'm just going to go hit a golf ball. Yeah, and, and those are, again, great points. Um, you know, and, and it's true. You know, even in something simple as a warm-up session, 
Um, first thing I, I mm-hmm. want to just dial back just for a second um, to add to that, and, and that is you want to make sure that you get to the golf course early enough that, number one, that you're prepared mm-hmm. and they're not, you're not yeah. running to the first tee or you're not running to the practice range uh, to do your warm-up section, uh, session because uh, you've got five minutes to make it to the first tee, so you're going to hit two or three balls or, <laughs> or what have you. You want to allow yourself at least a good 15, 20 minutes minimum. Right. Uh, you certainly yeah. don't need to spend an hour out in the range, but you want to be at least 15 to 20 minutes before you tee off, uh, depending on where the – usually the range is fairly close to the first tee, so you're not that far away. And you want to warm up. And you're exactly right. I don't know how many times we see that. I was, a few weeks ago, I was at Pinehurst and uh, playing some golf there. And I get up on the, uh, on the range to, to warm up. And I look down the line, and there they are hitting golf balls. I didn't see one person going through the, their pre-shot routine. Not one. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, yeah. a lot of them could hit some great shots, um, but none of them were going through a pre-shot routine, and they were warming up before the rounds. So I, I agree with that. You need to go through, and I think the other thing that you want to do too, which is always a good idea, especially if you've played the course before and you know what the first hole is going to be like, pretend you're playing the first hole. Exactly. Get out your driver if that's the, if that's the shot. Visualize the, the first shot that you're going to hit, if it's the driver or whatever club it is that you're going to use off the tee, visualize the shape of that mm-hmm. shot that you want to hit. So that when you get up to the yeah. first tee, you've already rehearsed it. You've already practiced that shot. Um, so that's yeah. some of the things that you can do. And, again, when you're in a practice session with your coach, or uh, whether it be a swing coach or, or uh, 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 you know, other coach, you, you have more time to be specific and get into techniques and things like that. But when it's a warm-up session, you want to prioritize that time on the range. And you want to make sure that you're not just running through the process, hitting balls and running over to the putting green and maybe hitting a couple of putts that, you want to make sure that you're preparing yourself uh, just like you would for any other task before you actually step yes. on that first tee. And you're going to find that your, your um, stress level is going to be, because we're all nervous on that first <laughs> tee, everybody, myself included, but you're going to feel confident going to that first tee because you've done a proper warm-up. You've gone through your pre-shot routine, and now you're going to sort of recycle it again as you step on that first tee, and you're going to go through the same process. But if you don't do that in the warm-up session, then what happens mm-hmm. is you're, you're all over the place when you get on that first. You don't know what to do. And that's why Absolutely. so many people end up hitting a bad shot. So some great points there. I just wanted to add a little bit as well. Um, Jamie, I want to come back to you. And I think this sort of feeds into the next point is preparing yourself mentally for a round or a tournament. So if you're playing in an event, whether it's maybe your, your club championship or maybe you're playing in, in uh, a, a uh, it might even be a professional tournament, you've got to get yourself kind of your mind right, if you will. Uh, it's not just all about the physical game. It's about getting your mind right and prepared. So what are some tips or maybe some suggestions for those that maybe have got a, uh, a, a, an important tournament that's coming up? And it might even just be a fun tournament, but they want to get prepared for it. Uh, sure, they can go to the range. They can hit balls. They can work with a coach uh, on the physical part of the game. But how do they get their mind right so that when they step out on that golf course, they're going to be prepared? What are some tips that we can use? Well, there are a number of them, I think, that I'd like to bring up um, in terms of that mental preparation uh, for competition. And let's say it's a tournament that you've played before, um, which could be your club championship. It could be, you know, uh, it could be a professional event or an amateur, big amateur competition. It doesn't matter what it is. But um, uh, it's really interesting, I think, to 
check yourself mentally and see if there's some past experience at that tournament uh, that you that's bothering you. <laughs> what do I mean? Some way that you feel like maybe you blew it or that, um, you know, that maybe you had a particular hole where you had trouble and so you're worried and you're nervous about getting to that hole um, or being in a particular situation and you didn't perform so well. You know what I'm talking about? Um, those things mm-hmm. that kind of a bad memory that haunts you <laughs> in a sense. And yeah. <laughs> um, you may be aware of it or not. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're not aware of it and then you get to that hole, you get to that situation, it's like, ah, and you sort of freak a little bit or you, you really get nervous and you find that you can't, um, you can't swing so well, you can't really perform. That's a problem. Uh, maybe you are aware of it and you've got to deal with it because you don't want to get to there and go, ah, freak out. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'll give you an example uh, just from me, from my own experience. We played our LPGA National Tournament at Pinehurst Number 8 for a number of years, mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And then we, did it, we came back to Number 8. And um, years and years ago, I was, um, I was doing well. I'd shot 73 one day, and then I'm, you know, uh, the next day, and I got to this one hole, and there were a bunch of big weeds and tulies, like swamp on the left, right? And you had to hit over it and to get to the fairway. <laughs> And I, of course, here I am playing. I'm, like, going to be in the money. I'm doing well. And I somehow kind of yanked my drive into those tulies, which was unusual, but that had happened, right? And that was, like, years mm-hmm. ago. So then here I am. I'm playing a practice round because we've returned to Piner's number eight. And just in the practice round, we get to that tee, and I go, oh, my God, oh, the first thing I remembered, <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> I yanked my drive there, and I screwed up a really good tournament I was having. <laughs> and I said to myself, I'm happy this came up in my practice round, and I've got to deal with this. And so um, I hope everybody's kind of getting the picture and can think for themselves of situations like that or a particular hole, whatever. And there's something called releasing. It's actually a method to let go. And there are different ways mm-hmm. I teach the specifics of how to let go. Um, uh, um, you know, you picture the situation, et cetera, et cetera. You, but you need to feel what happens in your body with the fear or the negativity. Um, the, and notice the self-talk that comes up there. And really let it come up so that you know what it is. Don't suppress it. In fact, we call it unsuppress it, unbury it, so you know what you're dealing with. And as you let all that up and... I mean, I actually pulled over and I let people play through. I think I let two or three groups go through and I sat there on the side on that tee and I released until I let go of the old past situation. And then I could step up there and just hit a drive without thinking, oh my God, I'm going to yank it left like I did 10 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. So I hope that's kind of a a graphic picture. And I can't tell you how many people I've worked with um, and competitive players um, at any level who've had those things going on. And so I think it's very important to be aware if you do and then to work with, uh, you know, do some coaching around uh, releasing or just use that, that idea, that concept that you've got to be able to let it come up and let it go so that you can be in the present and clear-minded and be able to feel positive that you can execute in that situation. So um, there's a little work that needs to be done there. That's some, you know, as it were, sports psychology work. So I think that that's important in preparing mentally. Uh, as you know, I'm very big on centering skills, and centering is mm-hmm. about kind of getting, dropping your weight, dropping into your lower belly, dropping into your legs and feet. Um, if you think about being anxious or nervous, I always, I actually do this with um, CEOs. I do it with my athletes. I go one, two, three, boo, 
and you know, you go like mm-hmm. that, and you hold your breath, and you go up, and your brain kind of goes on tilt. You get tense, and so you need to learn to relax. And the centering is to go down, and uh, as we go down, we counter, and we exhale, we relax, and we get present, we get balanced, we get stable again. So uh, learning centering skills and to put your mind that, that freezes or that gets kind of freaked in that, that deer in the headlights kind of mind or on tilt, and you put your mind, the mind needs to move, put it in your belly, put it in your legs and feet, uh, ground yourself. And that way you can use your mind productively, be sure that you're breathing and that you're present in your body, you're present in the moment. These are, these are mental skills in the body. So, the, um, and of course, you know, we could go through uh, visualization and preparing that way and, and, and that sort of thing, having routine. But I particularly want to bring out this uh, whole concept of releasing past bad um, experiences mm-hmm. and also releasing negative thoughts. Um, but you have to let them up. There's nothing wrong with them. We're human. We have them. We have to let them up and then let them go. And then also centering. I think these are, uh, I know these are very powerful and not so commonly taught or emphasized mental game skills. Yeah, and those are really, really great points, Jamie, because, you know, this is something, uh, and this also gets into emotions, because, uh, again, when we have a bad experience, as, as yeah. you pointed out, uh, as your example, you know, here you are several you know years later, you're coming back to the same golf course, and oy vey, you step on the you know, the tea box, and there's that, that <laughs> bad memory coming to, to surface again. And, again, you're right. You have to let it go. You have to address it. You can't ignore it because it, it happened. Um, but you also have to be careful you don't dwell on it either. You need to address it. You need to, yeah. uh, you know, do the various things to, to move past it. But that becomes an emotional attachment as well. If you don't deal with it, then it becomes a bad memory, and emotionally uh, anxiety creeps in. And it's amazing how... Um, you know, for instance, uh, you know, there's some players that uh, have problems with their putting. They get, uh, you know, if they're on uh, fast greens, let's say, uh, they're maybe a little more confident because they prepared for it. But then they get on a, a course that maybe the greens are a little bit slower. They haven't practiced that. And then, you know, they're, they're hitting it, thinking they've got to hit it uh, super hard to get there or, or super light because they're worried if it's going to be fast. So they're doing the opposite and they're just getting out of sync. So I think it's very, very important to center yourself, as you suggest. Uh, I think that's doing, and again, dealing with with the uh, the issue at hand, and then releasing it and moving on. Um, the other thing too that I always uh, suggest to players, if they get in a situation, uh, let's say it's a par three, and you know you're hitting to an island green, there's water all the way around. That can stymie even the best. I can think of, you know, TPC Sawgrass number 17. Even the best of the best get stymied with that because the green's completely surrounded by water. So what I always suggest to them is, you know, when you get a situation where there's a hole that you're not confident in, try not to worry about the score so much. Just keep it in play. You know, play for the fat of the green if you need be. And in, if if, par, if it's a par four as an example, then maybe play it as a par five. Allow yourself that just even for that one hole. You know, Nicholas famously, Jack Nicholas famously talked about how he would get on certain golf courses and some holes didn't fit his eye. So he didn't try to yep. go for it. He would, be, he would play more conservative. So that might be a route as well, um, is playing a little bit more conservative on those holes. Um, you know, if, if hitting into those 
uh, you know, uh, air, bad areas with your driver is, is a problem for you, then maybe scale back and hit another club off the tee as an example. That might be a, another way to go. So there's a lot of things to do, but you're exactly right. You have to deal with it, and you have to let it go, and you've got to make sure that you center yourself at all times because it's very, very easy to allow yourself to get out of sync. So some great points uh, there as well. And um, Sue, I'm going to come back to you as we move along here. And this one here um, kind of falls into what we've just been talking about. We all get disappointed. We all play some bad holes, some bad shots, and even have a bad tournament. Um, and one of two things can happen. We can either learn from it and use some of the s similar skills as, as to what Jamie just pointed out uh, to overcome some of those fears and anxieties and move on and learn from it, um, or we can really let it seep in and get into our psyche and it can haunt us for you know every year when that tournament comes up uh, you're playing that same hole or same stretch of holes that maybe gave you a tough time in previous years are going to do the same thing because you haven't really dealt with it. So how do we handle disappointment? Jamie talked about a few things, but handling disappointment uh, when things don't go well, when the wheels fall off the bus, is a big one as well. Maybe you could walk us through a little bit of an example in that as well. Yeah, there's so many times where I think that, you know, like you just said, you hit a, you think you hit a really good shot and you get a bad bounce and you're disappointed in the, in the outcome. And I think there's, you know, in my opinion, I just think there's too many people that focus on the negative things that happen on the golf course instead of the positive. So I teach all my players is like, okay, what went right today? You know, what was positive today versus what was actually wrong with things? Um, because I think that just like any, any, what you know, whatever you fill your cup up with is what you're going to get. So are you filling your cup up with negative thoughts or are you filling your cup up with positive thoughts? Well, um, mm -hmm. And that's what I always, at the end of, as a lot of the times when my players get done with tournaments, I'll say, okay, so, you know, what what was good about your round? You know, let's talk about that first. So they so they anchor mm -hmm. that first, and then we mm -hmm. talk about okay, what was not so good? I'm not and I'm not talking about bad 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 stuff. I'm gonna say what was not so good. And then we talk about it. Okay, how could we improve in it? Instead of like focusing mm -hmm. on, you know, what was really bad about things, let's focus on okay, what was not so good? Okay, so what kind of a, what would you have done different? Maybe. Whether or not it was like, a, okay, you missed a putt, and maybe because you just misread it, um, or your distance control was a little bit off. Um, so we kind of like go through um, different case scenarios, you know, after the round in regards to what was good about it, what was not so good about it. Okay, and, and then, okay, on the things that weren't so good about it, how can we change that? And what, how could we look at it in a different perspective in the sense that, um, like I said, maybe it was a, off the tee box, you sliced it into the trees or something. Um, you know, what, what, could we, what, could we, what could we have done differently? Maybe, maybe choose a different club next time, you know, on that particular hole rather than using a driver. Or, um, you know, it, again, it's just kind of in regards to how you react to things. And I just like to t tell all my players is like, okay, let's focus on the positive here. What was good about your round? Um, and then we'll kind of go through and, 
and talk about what was not so good about your round and then create different strategies um, in regards to how how would you think of it differently? What would you have changed on the not-so-good shots or the not-so-good results, if you may? Um, and we go and we... And we talk about through that in regards to, all right, how would you have done, what would you have done different if you were, if you're going to go play that hole tomorrow, what would you do different, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, it's all about strategies and it's all about, um, you know, strategies and outcomes, but it, the outcomes are, depends on how you, um, what do I want to say, how you react to the outcome. And, right. and too many too many people are always, anchoring all the negative stuff and that's why I teach all my players like we're going to anchor the positive stuff we're going to let go of the negative stuff and, yeah we'll talk about some of the things but um, you know I really want you to focus on what went well today because again what are you filling your cup up with you know what are you killing up what are you filling up that mental psyche with are you are you beating yourself up or are you focusing on what went well that day that you played because the next day, so if you're playing in a three-day tournament and the first day is all you're focusing on is negative, 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 what do you think you're going to get the second day? <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, right. It's not going to be, yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be fun because you're focusing on, okay, I did this wrong yesterday. Hopefully I won't do it again. Well, really, what do you focus on? And as you know, and Jamie knows this very well, is like your, um, what you focus on is what, is the energy you're giving out to the world, and right the um, the law of attraction. Know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what uh, like I do a I do a key exercise with people, and we just tie a key to a key to a string, and I give them a, a kind of like a face of a clock sitting there on the front of the front of them on a on like on a desk or something, and I just ask them. I said we're going to focus on focus on the key. And you're not going to move the key, but your thoughts are going to move the key. So we'll be sitting there, and I'm going to say, okay, I just want you to think about let the key hang straight down, and I want you to mm-hmm. think about 12 to 6 and 12 to 6. And before you know it, guess what's happening? The key is moving mm-hmm. from 12 to 6 because what you focus on is you're creating energy. Yep. And then I say, okay, now let's move the key from 3 to 9, 3 to 9. So... The key is crazy because I was doing and I have I did this exercise with about 80 women in one room, and I gave them all strings and I said just pull out a key, and I just showed them how this works, and they were all like freaking out <laughs> because they weren't moving the <laughs> yeah, key, it's a, but their thoughts were moving the key. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's it yeah it, it, it you're right. It goes to the energy, as you said, and people don't really understand yeah. that, and it's true. The energy that you put out, if it's negative. And, and I want to just touch on real quickly, just to, to sort of uh, carry on the overall points here, and, and that is if, if you listen to the pros, doesn't matter who it is, um, most of the professional golfers, whether it's on the LPGA or the PGA Tour, if they've had a bad, what we would perceive maybe some bad holes or a bad round, maybe they didn't finish as well as they thought they would, and you listen to the interviews that they have afterwards, they don't dwell on no. the fact that they're three over par for the, for the day or That's right. they're close to you know, whatever the, the case is or there was a bad hole. Now, the, now the reporters might ask them questions, say, well, what, what happened on number 12 or whatever? And they will always you know, find a way 
to pull positive. You know, Tiger famously always said, you know, I didn't play my A game today, but I'm really happy about my putting. So they always reinforce it, the better ones anyway, certainly the better professionals. Some might, some of the ones that haven't been out there and got the experience yet might uh, delve into some of the negative stuff. But for the most part, they will always reinforce it. You know what? I wasn't hitting my driver really well, but I'm happy with my iron play. Or, you know, uh, a couple of the bunkers stymied me out there. So they always reinforce that with, and again, it's, it's the same thing when they step up in front of a hole. They look at, they know the trouble mm-hmm. there. They're not stupid. They, they know there's uh, maybe some fairway bunkers or maybe there's an out of bounds uh, to the left or to the right or the trees or what have you. They're conscious of them being there, but they're looking for a target. They're saying, okay, where do I want my tee shot to land? They find the target. That's it doesn't right. matter what trouble's out there. That's what they're doing. The difference with the amateurs is really the point you're making um, is that they're thinking about the trouble. They're not focusing on the target. Yep. And they're drawing that negative energy. So the guy says, well, you know what? I don't want to slice it in the trees. Well, nine times out of ten, what does he do? He slices it in the trees because of that very reason. He's making it come to fruition. So handling, uh, I guess going back really to the original question, is handling, uh, you know, disappointment, if you will, is learning from and being able to look at some of the mistakes you've made. What did I do wrong? Okay, how could I handle it differently? Um, And then moving forward making those changes, adapting uh, to those changes for the next time. If, again, as you said, if you're playing a two- or three-day event, you've got another opportunity uh, to play That's that right. same hole. And if you made some bad choices, you certainly don't want to make the same choices the very next day. So now you're going to redefine that. So, again, it, it's all, it all boils down to this game really, as Nicholas famously talked about, is not so much a physical game as it is a mental game. And the oh, best absolutely. players in the world do well because they are mentally prepared. Um, I want to move on um, and get into uh, a few okay. examples. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jamie, real quick. Well, I, um, I just wanted to kind of um, piggyback on what you both are saying. There was a book. Um, I don't even know who wrote it. And all you need to know is the title of the book. Uh, and the mm-hmm. title is What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's um, really important, you know, that we're paying attention to uh, what we're saying when we talk to ourselves. That's what self-talk is. And is it positive? Is it, is it in the present? What is, what's it about? Um, and just to your point as well, um, said about uh, tour players and, and, and Sue, um, they, you have to know how to release and let go um, as an athlete mm-hmm. and a professional athlete. Um, because uh, otherwise you just get killed by your past failures, and then they become your, your present failures. So you have to, you have, to have the uh, ability to um, you know, let things come up and then let them go. Yep, exactly. Um, and, and that's why I say that, that you know, if, you listen, if you really listen to um, the better players on the tours, that's what they will say is they will talk about their round, but they won't sit there and dwell on the negatives of the round. Um, they may point them out and say, you know what, yeah, I hit a pretty bad tee shot there. They might even laugh about it. Uh, may not at the time, but they will later on. But you know what, I hit a great next shot, or I got back in play, and, and that's what they're going to focus on. They're going to focus on how did I recover um, and get myself back in. And okay, even if I ended up with uh, a bogey on that hole, 
it could have been worse. It could have been a double. It could have been a triple bogey. And that's the way you have to think about, and that's how you handle that sort of diversity and disappointment on the golf course. All right, Jim, I'm going to come to you here. And these are just some examples, some different types of situations we might be faced with that um, we certainly would like to avoid, but it's inevitable. Uh, some courses, uh, obviously all courses have a rough. Uh, some can be a little heavier than others. This is an area that a lot of golfers um, struggle with. There's obviously uh, your first cut of rough, which usually isn't too bad, uh, and then there's a little thicker rough, uh, depending on the course you're playing uh, and the type of course you're playing. Um, give us a, a general idea of if you get your ball uh, in the rough, and I know there's different lies and so forth, but maybe you can just give us an example or two. Uh, if you find yourself in the rough, especially in the heavy rough, how do we handle that situation? Um, what's the best way to do that? Is that um, what's the technique, if you will, for hitting uh, that type of shot? Do we need to make a change in our setup, what have you? Give us a, sort of a walkthrough, and if you want to use a scenario as an example, uh, just to create a visual uh, for, for the listeners, by all means, go ahead. Everything you're asking, there are things that have come up for me literally just in the past days or week. And um, so today we're playing a golf course uh, that has really heavy rough. And um, the first thing is I would recommend to, if possible, to club up or to go to a hybrid club. Um, Hybrids are meant to get through some of the longer grass um, more easily than an iron. Or, you know, if you're thinking, oh, this is nine iron distance, but that nine iron is not literally going to help you get through that grass. And the grass slows down the club head, so that already cuts your speed, um, cuts your distance. So you may have to, um, you know, take a longer, stronger club and, uh, you know, adjust for that. Um, the other thing is it's like don't be greedy. So what happened today, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I just been talking with um, uh, I was playing with about, um, about disaster holes. And this mm-hmm. was uh, some years ago, I remember the, <laughs> the PGA show and um, Dave Pels was talking about a serendipitous finding. They were going through a lot, a lot, a lot of scorecards and they discovered that most scorecards have one or two high numbers on them. And then they called them blow-up holes. This was not what they were looking for, but that's what they discovered. And that if people right. could just uh, eliminate, uh, cut down either the number of blow-up holes, disaster holes, or maybe the disaster was a double bogey instead of a snowman or a quadruple bogey or something like that, um, that that would help their scores a lot. Well, we had just been talking about that. Sure enough, we're on this par five, and she gets in the rough on her second shot. She's only, you know, 120 or 30 from the green, and, of course, she went for it, and she barely got out of the grass, and then she was still in the long grass. And then she didn't get out again very well. And anyway, she ended up with I don't know, a triple, I think, on that hole. And it was a disaster hole. And she said, you know what, we went back through it. And when she was still about 130 out, she didn't really have the power that she needed to get out of that really buried lie. And, you know, who wants to think you're going to have to sort of chip out or lay up? Um, but if she would have done mm-hmm. that, she might have been able to get you know, back to, who knows, 50, 80 yards out, get on the green and make a putt and make a par or make a a bogey but not end up with, you know, a triple bogey. So, you know, sometimes it is about not getting greedy and going, you know what, I'm really going to have a hard time getting out of this really long grass and getting the distance that I'm used to or that I want in the moment. 
So I'm just going to have to kind of take my medicine and, you know, get the ball back in play. Also, without hurting yourself, I actually hurt my elbow mm-hmm. a little bit in the rough today. It was so long. Mm-hmm. I was like, ow. Um, and, but that's just because <laughs> I tried so hard to muscle it out, and I wanted to get there. And I could have saved my elbow and probably saved a stroke if I would have not been, quote, unquote, so greedy. So that's, you know, and then make it up on the next shot or just, you know, if, okay, if I took an extra stroke on this hole, it's better than taking two or three or four extra strokes on this hole. So, um, you know, that's part, of, that's part of the course management aspect. And I, whenever I teach course management, I teach mind and course management because they're interrelated. They're very interconnected. Um, and, you know, so I think club selection is very important when you're in the deep grass. And it depends. You know, can you see the ball? Is it buried? Is it down so far you can't even get to it? Um, you know, that sort of thing. So I think you have to look at that when you're looking at um, how to play the shot. And I think you have mm-hmm. to know that, it's going to take a little more, uh, a little more stability, a little more oomph, and um, and really staying staying down, quote unquote, staying with the shot. You certainly can't sort of lift up at all because you, you can almost whiff the ball or just barely hit it. I actually once saw mm-hmm. a, a tour pro um, hit maybe about a hundred yard duff in the long grass at mm-hmm. Torrey Pines. It was kind <laughs> of shocking, but you know it happens. And I saw this guy do it. Uh, so, you know, those those are some thoughts I have. And in terms of trouble yep. shots, I will just say this. This is very brief, but uh, we could certainly talk more about it. But one of my favorite golf schools to teach that um, I used to teach them more, but is a two-day trouble shot school. And all we do is mm-hmm. trouble shots. And we put our ball in all kinds of just nasty lies, um, bunkers, uh, having to learn how to hit the shots under trees, how to keep it low under trees. Um, you know, the ball right um, again by the green, right up against that next cut of grass, you know, where you, you, you just like, oh, you just hate when your ball is rolled too far off the green and, oh, there you are right up against the next long grass. And how do you play that? So there's all kinds of trouble shots. And, you know, two days of trouble shot school, and then we would we'll, we'd go on the golf course and we just toss our balls mm-hmm. into all these terrible positions, all the ones you don't want to be in be in them, practice, learn some of the technique, and uh, have the experience. And it makes a big difference because then when that happens and you are playing, you know, your your regular rounds or a competitive round, it, you have that experience and knowledge to draw on of uh, having been in trouble shot school and go, oh, I know how to play trouble shots. Yeah, and that's a great – yeah, that's a really good point because, again, um, those are shots typically – um, that you're going to be faced with on the golf course, but most people practice very little. So it's good to get something like that in a, a trouble school, if you will, for a couple of days uh, to be able to try a very um, variety or scenario of shots that you may be faced we, we with. Because, fun. Right, we have more right, fun exactly. And but, we laugh more in <laughs> trouble shot school. Um, and, and people get over their fears. It's like I've been right. there, I've... I've, I've done it. I can do it. Well, and, and it's, a, it's a good way to assess yourself to see how successful you're going to be in those different situations so that when you get on the golf course, if you get into a thick, heavy rough, really the, the first thing you want to do is assess the situation. And you want to ask yourself, and of course you have to do it in a timely fashion because you don't want to slow up people, but you have to look at the situation and say, the first question is, okay, what is the likelihood or am I going to be able to advance the ball 
down the fairway? Uh, is it a shot that I can confidently pull off? If I'm, let's say, 100 yards from the green, but I'm in some thick, gnarly rough, am I going to be able, because there's maybe a, a creek that runs in front or there's water around the green, so I have to look at that and say, what is the likelihood that I'm going to be able to pull this shot off with any amount of success? And as you pointed out, Jamie, um, more often than not, you're going to find yourself in more trouble. So you have to look at what are your options. Yeah, I could try to go for it, but I may not be successful. Um, or I could pick a different club and just get it out there and get out of that trouble and get it back into play. So it might be a matter of laying up. Uh, and if it's really bad... Uh, you don't want to hurt yourself, so it may be just something, just getting it back into play. And just You might even have to hit it out sideways um, just to get it out back into the fairway. Um, hopefully, you can advance a little bit depending on the circumstances, but rather than hurting yourself and trying to take a full swing, you might want to just take a, a half or even a three-quarter swing just and kind of punch it out. Uh, maybe instead of a nine-iron, if it's a nine-iron shot, maybe take a seven-iron and just... And the thing, too, you want to do is it's all about technique. You want to make sure you hit down a little bit more on the ball uh, because as you take the club back, you're going to be dragging it through the grass. And the other thing, too, is which people don't realize is you need to open the club face a little bit because what's going to happen as you come through that thicker grass, it's going to have a tendency to shut it, which is going to make it even that much more difficult. So there's a lot of things that need to be considered and can be done very quickly. But again, that comes with experience. But you want to practice those shots and you want to feel confident with those shots but you also have to be realistic that if you're faced with one um, that you don't have a lot of confidence and don't try to be the hero and go for it and run risk of number one uh, hurting yourself uh, but number two putting yourself in a worse situation maybe hitting it into the rough on the other side uh, because you didn't execute it properly so there's a lot of things to, to vary uh, from from time to time to look at and assess the situation is really what you want to do Sue, I want to come to you for this last one because we're getting ready to, to wrap up. And we not only find ourselves in the rough, and this is another trouble area sometimes, is we get a lot of uh, slopey lies, if you will. Sometimes the ball is above our feet. Sometimes it's below. Sometimes it's side to side, mm -hmm. what have you. And a lot of people get confused with this because they're not on a flat surface anymore. They're standing with the ball. might be as much as a foot above their feet or not even a foot and a half, two feet uh, below their feet and they've got to get into a different position. So how do we handle a situation like that where um, we might uh, find ourselves in an uneven lie, and a sp specifically a severely uneven lie? Yeah, I think that's um, like Jamie just said, you have to go practice those because in the law of physics, meaning ball flight, there if you have four different type of lies, meaning, okay, you've got a ball above your feet, a ball below your feet, um, a side hill lie, a downhill lie, those are four all different ones. Um, and what happens is you have to educate players in regards to what's going to happen to this ball flight when it takes off. Because most mm -hmm. people aren't thinking about it. So like when the ball's above your feet, the club face is actually looking left. So you can't aim straight at the hole when the ball's above your feet. When the ball's below your feet, the face is actually going to open up, have a tendency to open up when the ball's below your feet. And then, for example, when the ball's going on basically an uphill lie, you're adding loft to the club. So if you don't take enough clubs, so let's say it's a 100-yard it's a shot and you normally hit a pitching wedge 100 yards, for example, 
and you're on an uphill lie, well, that pitching wedge is only going to go about 85 to 90 yards because of the uphill lie. And it's the same mm-hmm. thing with a downhill lie. So if the ball's going, um, you know, the ball's uh, on a downhill slope, you're taking a loss off of your clubs, so the ball's going to go a little bit farther. So I think that, you know, you have to teach your players, go to those four different positions on the golf course and teach them in regards to, you know, the law of physics and the law of ball flights based on those those four positions because all four of them are all different. And if you're not paying attention and you don't know any better, then what what most people do, they're going to aim at their target and there's no way they're, they're going to end up end up at their target. So you just have to educate players in regards to, you know, the, une- the uneven lies. And like Jamie says, you should be going out and practicing um, ball uphill, ball downhill, ball above your feet, ball below your feet, so that you know what is, you know, what's going to, what's the outcome going to be uh, if you do hit it well uh, in those case scenarios. And so I think a lot of people just don't even think about, well, okay, the ball's below my feet, so what? All right, I'm just going to hit it. Well, not a good decision. <laughs> you want to plan a little right. bit differently there. Um, just like an uphill lie or a downhill lie, um, you know, as you're, as you're watching with the, you know, the men's U.S. Open this week, there's a ton of uneven lies when, you know, those guys are, those, when those golf balls are hitting the fairways and hitting closer to the greens and, and such. And, you know, they, they all know, okay, what they go through, again, this is a part of the pre-shot routine, understand what, what the lie is telling you, um, and then set up, set up a plan from there. Don't just walk up and say, oh, it's an uphill lie. Okay, so what? I'm just going to hit it. Uh, not good strategy, not, not good um, pre-shot routine either um, because you're not, you know, you're not planning for success. So, um, like I said, you just have to um, teach your players those four different um, lie angles um, in, re- in relationship to the club face and just teach people understanding that, okay, if my ball's on an uphill lie, I need to take a little bit extra club. If the ball's on a downhill mm-hmm. lie, I need to take a little bit less than a club. And then if I'm on the balls above my feet, that ball's going to go left, so I need to aim a little bit more right. Um, and then mm-hmm. if the ball's below my feet, i got to aim a little bit more left. And it's just educating them. And like Jamie said, it's, it's about practicing the not-so-fun shots. <laughs> Yeah, it, you have you have to do that, Not, and you're well said. You have to understand how the ball is going to react, and if you never practice, and again, you know, most driving ranges don't have this ability. They usually have pretty flat tee areas uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, some some better courses uh, have different levels, and a lot of times, depending on where they've placed the positions, I'll find a spot down at the end of the range where there isn't anybody around, and I'll actually uh, put my uh, a few balls on the downslope of that teeing yeah. area, uh, or what uh-huh. have you. Or even if I'm right, go to the very end, I might have the ball where it's actually below my feet. Just because you need to practice that. If you're not, uh, you know, and and again, if you're in a practice session with your coach or your swing, uh, you know, your your swing coach, if you will, uh, then that's something you want to make sure that he or she is getting you um, practicing or rehearsing on a regular basis because those are shots those are the shots you're going to be faced with most is uneven lies mm-hmm. or thick rough or what have you um, because most amateurs are not always going to find themselves in a nice 
flat spot in the fairway. In fact, it's very um, unlikely that that's going to happen with any sort of regularity <laughs> until you become a more proficient player where you can, again, pick your, uh, your, your targets a little bit and know where those areas are on the golf course that you want to land the, the golf ball to give yourself that, that better uh, a chance. But more often than not, you're going to hit it and find yourself on a down slope or a side slope or what have you or up slope. And you need to know how to, to address those situations, and you pointed that out uh, quite well. Ladies, I want to thank both of you for joining me this evening. We're uh, hard to believe that the hours zip by. And I'm going to give each of you, Jamie, mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to you first, and then, and then Sue. Uh, just let the folks know if they want to reach out or get in touch with you, the best way they can do that. Jamie and then Sue. Well, this hour really did zip by. It's always fun to uh, be on with you, Sue, and to be with you, Chad. So, and great questions, and you know, touching on some really important aspects of playing well and uh, and practicing, preparing. So, um, people can reach me at kiigolf.com, k-i-a-i, golf.com, uh, or at thecenteredway.com. They'll both go there, the same place. So, um, that's my website. Uh, Email Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at com, And also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Jamie Leno Zimron. And my phone, I, I hear all my messages and I like to talk. <laughs> so, um, and I like to make personal connections. So I do return phone calls. And I'm at 760-492-GOLF, 4653. Uh, and really love to... Love to connect with people, and um, you know, uh, and I also do a lot of virtual work as well. So you know, we don't have to necessarily be in the physical same uh, place in order to do uh, golf lessons and some golf mastery training and, and golf. Fitness. Wonderful world, wonderful world of technology. We can do that now. Um, Sue, how about you? What's the best way for the folks that are listening if they want to reach out and connect with you and uh, maybe get some help on their game? Yeah, um, I'm at uh, com, and you can find my number one international best-selling book called Golf, The Last Six Inches. It is on Amazon. Um, and my phone number is uh, area code 480-392-6563. Um, or you can reach me at S-W-I-E-G-E-R at paceandgolfclub.com. Um, yeah, enjoyed it, and thank you so much, Ted. Well, I appreciate it, ladies. Again, thank you very much for always giving of your time. And uh, don't forget, uh, for those tuning into the show, reach out to them. And they're there to help you with your game and make it more fun and enjoyable. But thanks uh, to both of you for, uh, for joining me this evening on the Coach's Corner panel. And I will see you next time here on Golf Talk Live. Awesome. Have a great weekend, ladies. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Ted. you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron and Sue Weger uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, always an uh, interesting discussion on the panel. We always like to try to have uh, some interesting points of view. And um, even though we don't uh, have a visual cues here, I think we try to explain things enough that people uh, can understand. And again, you can always reach out to them, and uh, they'll be more than happy to explain some of the things that we talked about tonight or, or maybe even on a different show. Um, so please feel free to do that. All right, uh, it's Father's Day coming up this week, and of course the men's U.S. Open is uh, is playing, and everybody, uh, all the dads, of course, are going to be watching. Uh, some might even get out and play a little bit themselves. Uh, but a great way to keep up with the game and, and uh, get some great tips is, of course, uh, from Golf Tips Magazine. So here's a quick advertisement, and we'll be back with tonight's 
special guest. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, and in lieu of Father's Day weekend, uh, we're offering a special or continuing a, to offer a special uh, option for those that you want to subscribe to Golf Tips Magazine. If you go to golftipsmag.com and uh, activate a print subscription and enter in the promo code uh, GOLFTIPS21, you will save uh, just over 30% off the regular subscription price. You'll get it for $9.99. Uh, so if you go to golftipsmag.com, select print subscription, enter promo code GOLFTIPS21, uh, you will get, uh, as I said, just over 30% off the subscription price. It's a great gift for dad and a um, great option uh, to give him something to help his game. Uh, a lot of great tips in there as well as some great product reviews uh, and some interesting articles, I think, that uh, are designed to help your game in all areas, uh, the mind game and obviously the physical game as well, but a lot of great things there. So go to golftipsmag.com, again, enter promo code uh, GOLFTIPS21 and get a, a good savings for Dad uh, this Father's Day. All right, I'm very excited to have uh, join me again this uh, evening on Golf Talk Live, uh, Dan Anderson. He's the COO and CMO uh, plus the development coach at the Payne Stewart uh, Kids Golf Foundation. Uh, here's a little bit about the uh, Payne Stewart and obviously the foundation as well. Uh, before I bring him on. Payne Stewart, of course, uh, was a PGA Tour icon uh, who became one of the game's uh, most beloved and recognized players, winning several tournaments, including three major championships. He was known as an entertainer, a jokester, and a golf fashion icon. Uh, those closest to him uh, knew him as a family man who was a devoted husband and father uh, who was a lot of fun, and uh, both on and off the golf course. Uh, Payne had a deep and growing faith that transformed him into the man he had become before his tragic death in 1999. And through the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation and Golf Experiences, uh, they press into Payne's legacy and the importance uh, he placed in his deepening faith, his love of family, and the fun he had with the game of golf. Uh, their mission, of course, is developing uh, healthy kids for life through the fun of golf. And uh, they focus on fun, games-based uh, golf campuses for uh, kids four to nine years old, and we're going to find out a little bit more uh, from our very special guest this evening, uh, Dan Anderson. Good evening, Dan. Welcome back to Golf Talk Live. Hey, Ted. Thanks again for uh, having me uh, once again. I think we talked last time on uh, Father's Day a year ago. I think you did, yes. <laughs> I think it was just about a year ago, so we were we were awfully close if it wasn't, but uh, I appreciate you coming back right. on and... and uh, and having a, a discussion with me now. So let's, let's go back just a little bit, um, if you wouldn't mind. Um, how did this sort of come about? How did the, the Payne Stewart Kids Foundation get started? When did it get started? And just kind of give us just, a, again, a little bit more uh, in-depth, if you will, about the actual mission of the foundation. Yeah, well, this uh, whole thing really started 
20 years ago with uh, Wally Armstrong and his development of the snag golf equipment, kind of the oversized Mm -hmm. clubs and balls and targets for kids. And so it was through that and and actually the founder of our company, Kelly McCammon, who unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight in this conversation, um, mm-hmm. You know, he worked with Wally in uh, Snag and bringing in this equipment into the golf industry. So, you know, targeting the clubs for uh, country clubs and other organizations still targeted on the golf course. And Kelly's always had the vision of taking the golf equipment and actually bringing it into local neighborhoods. And it's something that, um, you know, the vision was always how do we get more kids involved in golf? rather than those kids that are naturally going to be found on a golf course. So the whole right. vision on this um, really has been focusing in on getting kids to play away from a golf course with equipment that can be played on any field or inside a gymnasium. So about a uh, little over two years ago, um, Kelly uh, was working with uh, Tracy Stewart and a guy named DJ mm-hmm. Snell, who's their agent, uh, on getting the rights to use the name with Payne Stewart. And so at that time, I was actually working at a church and called Kelly to see if I could get some golf clubs to do a, a kid's outreach uh, in, at our church. And so it was through that conversation we said, well, how, what can we do to you know, bring this to more churches? And so, you know, from that grew uh, into creating Payne Stewart Kids Golf Camps and got the rights. Mm-hmm. Tracy blessed us with being able to use Payne's name. You know, but part of the condition on that also is that we, we are faith-based in what we do, uh, and we have right. fun with kids. And so um, so uh, it was actually just over a year ago that – or actually was in um, September of, of 2020 that Tracy asked us to start up the Kids Golf Foundation so we could take in funds to support the 62% of kids that can't afford youth sports, let alone golf, to be able to Mm -hmm. support them in inner cities and doing programs with boys and girls clubs. So uh, we started the foundation at uh, Tracy's request, and a year later we finally got approval, the 501c3, which was retroactive back to August of 2020 to be able to do that. So we've been, you know, doing this for a couple of years and you know, really focusing in on getting the model correct. And, you know, last year we had uh, 20 camps uh, going through uh, churches and we had uh, five pilot locations at boys and girls clubs. And this, uh, this spring and summer we have uh, over 90 uh, golf camps with uh, churches, uh, YMCAs, and we've also uh, did an alliance with Skyhawks, uh, Academies, so they are running our Payne Stewart branded uh, golf camps uh, throughout the country. So um, that's a little bit of a, a background to for, from where we've gone to where we are. Yeah, and it's a lot of great organizations that that uh, the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation has partnered with, in a sense. Um, and, and what's unique is, uh, and I just want to go back to something that you said a, a few moments ago, and that was a re- really about taking bringing the kids to not necessarily to the golf course. I mean, obviously that's something that, uh, you know, we hope uh, progresses at some point down the road, but just introducing to the game in, in many cases, a different environment. It might be in a gymnasium. You've now got the equipment that allows you to do that. That's um, certainly works on the same premise as your traditional equipment. uh, But for those that maybe are not familiar with, with some of the snag uh, golf uh, uh, model, if you will, and equipment, 
uh, it is a little bit different. Obviously, oversized uh, clubs, and and you're not using a, a traditional golf ball in that. So there's a lot of uh, things that you're doing, and you're bringing a younger demographic and introducing. You know, one of the problems that golf has had for many many years is it obviously was able to attract kids through junior golf programs. I know we're going to talk about it a little bit about that and sort of the connection there. Um, but before that, sort of pre, uh, you know, PGA Junior League and things like that, um, kids were not really the same as other traditional sports like soccer and football were not really introduced to golf. Uh, excuse me. Not uh, introduced to golf the same way uh, as maybe other traditional sports unless their parents or, or family member uh, did it. So this was something that you guys really... Uh, have, have sort of mastered over the last uh, particularly couple of years is introducing them in a way um, that's not really traditionally done in the golf industry. What was, how did that sort of come about? What was the reasoning be, behind that? What was sort of the philosophy, if you will, of taking that approach as opposed to just going to the local golf course and you know buying some time, if you will, out, out in the links or on the driving range? Yeah, well, that's, you know, the the uh, thing that Kelly's always been focusing in on is how do we capture kids at a younger age to be able to start and play golf? And, you know, a typical four- and five-year-old start sports, you know, parents start their uh, kids at those ages, and golf isn't in that mix because they're not in the mm-hmm. local areas, so to speak, of where they are. So when parents start their kids in soccer, you know, they're going to the re- local recreation area it's only those parents that are actively playing in golf and, you know, belong to a country club that will bring their kids and be able to get kids started in golf at those young ages. But, you know, typically, and you, you'll see the industry really starts their golf learning programs at age eight. And a kid's mm-hmm. brain doubles in size by age eight and can actually take instruction-based learning, which is where a lot of the, um, you know, PGA junior golf camps and, First Tee and uh, LPGA Junior Girls, all those are really instructional-based and, you know, a little more one-on-one. If you want to go younger than that, you really got to develop a model that is game-based, allowing kids to have fun and being able to do it in an environment where they're not being instructed. So if you look at the golf entry barriers for young kids, there's really four areas that have been uh, overcome by our program but have been barriers that exist. First, golf is hard. And so if you give mm-hmm. a kid a cut-down version of an adult-sized club with the same small ball and the same small target, they don't have fun. It's not, you know, it's hard. And so how do you get yeah. the game to be fun for the kids? And so the oversized equipment, hitting off of a tee with an oversized ball, kids can play with that. They see the ball launching in the area in, in the air and have fun. And so we've also mm-hmm. developed games that kids play through this so that, you know, it's not necessarily instruction. We're not so much on, you know, you got to hold the club right. You know, we, we instruct them on ways to do it. But, you know, the whole circular motion that Wally Armstrong kind of developed is, you know, getting kids to have fun. Hey, all right, stick out your elephant arms and getting kids to kind of see <laughs> that, you know, that's the shape of how you hold it. Okay, now swing your elephant arms and, and squat like a duck. Okay, stick out your tail feathers. Mm-hmm. And so the kids kind of get that. And, all right, swing your elephant arms. And, you know, the kids are having fun as they're learning, but, you know, they get that concept of what it takes to, you know, develop a circle golf swing. Um, The the second element is golf is expensive, and so we provide all the the golf learning equipment for each of the camps. 
there's no cost, and that was the model of Snag as well as Short Golf was to sell the equipment into uh, pro shops or uh, each of the uh, golf courses so that they could then, you know, do the training. We provide all the equipment through our uh, foundation so that that cost barrier mm -hmm. is, is not there. You know, if you go play soccer, kid goes to play soccer, you know, balls are supplied. Um, for right. golf, you have to have your own equipment and show up. So we didn't want that barrier to be there. So it allows kids at younger ages just to step in and not have to bring their own, own uh, golf clubs. Uh, the third element is golf. Golf is exclusive, so you don't have to be on a golf course. We want to be in recreational areas and run on the rails of what's already built in the community. So, you know, recreational mm -hmm. facilities, there's a lot of church programs that have sports camps in the summers. And so it's utilizing those groups to be able to run our programs. So we train each of these locations of what it takes to run a Payne Stewart Kids Golf Camp um, through our learning. So we have a camp program that teaches kids uh, three hours a day for five days, um, you know, basic stations of putting, chipping, pitching, full swing. But then we also take a break and, and teach them um, life virtues. So the importance of what Payne was all about also was, you know, his faith element was important to him. So we mm -hmm. also teach kids life virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So kids are learning right. and, and we're telling them stories about all that stuff. And those are also reinforced in all the balls. That It's a love ball. It's a joy ball. So they're all they're right. just, just fun. And so, um, and then the last piece of that was the missing recreational level. So, um, you know, golf ADM model, um, which, you know, if you look at uh, that, that Olympic development <laughs> model, it points out the shortcomings that exist within the golf industry. And everything that is in there is the shortcoming we have overcome with uh, how we're developing and doing these programs. So, yeah, and and just to go back for a second, you know, at this age level, really with any sport um, or or game, it's very difficult to keep at that again that sort of the four to six uh, age level and and even up to the age of uh, eight and nine um, to keep them engaged if it's too difficulty uh, too difficult or daunting and golf certainly as as you pointed out and, and certainly as I know as a, a golf professional uh, is tough and if you try mm -hmm. to expose you know the fundamentals of golf and you know all the rules and regulations to a four-year-old um, they're not going to stick around. They're not going to have fun. And, and you really hit on that. Is it's, it's really about having fun and keeping them engaged. And then when it's appropriate, right. and obviously each child is going to be different, you know, you can kind of work towards, you know, developing that skill set if that's what they choose. But if they're not introduced to the game at all until much later, it's harder to do that. Um, because they're already moving on to other sports. And I really like the fact that you guys have piggybacked onto um, really you're going where the kids are learning other sports, which I really like that because right. you're, meeting the, you're meeting them where they are already, yep. and you're now yep. introducing them. You know, I'm going to tell you a real, real quick story and just to sort of prove this point. A uh, very good friend of mine, yep. um, Byron, Byron Casper, who, of course, is son of uh, legendary Billy Casper, uh, lives out in the California area, and he was telling me that he – uh, a few years ago, he went to, I think it was a middle school, 
and uh, did a discussion with in front of about 200 kids and uh, asked them how many played golf. And he was really shocked at how few raised their hand. And most of them, when he got into further discussions, the reasons were is unless they had a golfer in their family, and I don't mean a pro, but I mean a family member that played golf, they were never introduced to it because it's not in the school systems other than until you get into high school or college golf. So at a junior level, they're not introduced to it unless somebody specifically takes them and gets them into a junior program. So we needed to find, the industry has needed to find a way, and this is a great way to do that, is to say, okay, kids are already active in other sports, whether it be soccer, whether it be t-ball, uh, as you point out. Let's go where they are and say, here's something else that you can do as well. Let them have fun. Let them engage and play some games, as you said. And then naturally it will eventually, if they enjoy it, it will manifest into a more traditional form of the game. And that's when they can now get into, and that's what I want to talk about now, is your golf camps and clinics then become a feeder system for some of the other youth programs that are out there, that are currently out there uh, in the golfing industry. Maybe you could touch on that a little bit. You know, that, that's exactly it. And if you look at, um, the, there's a, a full deck that's out there on the golf ADM model and just really kind of getting into, uh, you know, the golf industry pointing out that, you know, to progress a kid all the way through, there's um, seven different stages in golf development. They, they, what they call boys and girls from age zero to six is active start. And then from six mm-hmm. to nine is fundamentals. Uh, and then learning to play. And that's really where most of the industry starts. So those first two early phases of active start and fundamentals is the space that we're in and creating. So that space is vacant that nobody is doing. I mean, if you can imagine that there is no T-ball out there in existence for baseball, that's kind of hard to believe, but that's exactly the way the industry has been for golf, is there's nobody in that entry space. And so for us stepping into that, we are that feeder system that can now, kids have experience swinging a, uh, a golf club and a ball, they can then go into a PGA uh, junior golf camp or a first tee and be able to use those, that what we're calling now the second phase, which people say is the first phase of kid development, but it really is the second, um, of using right. the cut-down versions of uh, adult-sized mm-hmm. clubs and smaller balls and targets. So we're going to be a bigger feeder system, and we've already – probably trained more uh, minority kids and girls than has ever been done in the golf industry in the past two years that we've done. So with that, though, we are linking within the industry. So we are having conversations with First Tee. We have an alliance with PGA Junior Golf Camps because that's the last thing we want to do is get kids excited but then have them for no place to go. So we want to be that feeder system to all the existing industry golf programs that are out there because they're doing a good job of what they're doing, but they're focused in on an age group um, that is, um, you know, where kids can really take more instruction and then develop that, uh, you know, the learn to play, the phase three, the play to improve is the next phase for uh, the uh, ADM model for golf and then play to compete, play to win, and then play for life. So, those yeah. seven progressions is how that, that uh, industry sees it, and we're the only ones currently in that 
early first two phases. Yeah, and and it's important too. Something else I want to touch on a little bit too is you had mentioned one of the other um, parts of it was the cost factor. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not everybody can belong to a country club. Not everybody has access to that. Uh, or even golf clubs, it's very expensive, and particularly for some of the minority children out there, um, don't have that. Uh, you know, and it, I go back and, and I assign no blame to him because obviously he was great for the game. Uh, but you know, when Tiger Woods first came on the scene, uh, a lot of people talked about the opportunity of exposing more, um, you know, minority children and say, hey, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. The problem was, mm-hmm. is they really had no vessel. Um, you know, you certainly had programs like the First Tee and that, but again, they had to get over the hurdle of, well, I don't have equipment and I can't afford it. And right. what's right. what needs to really happen, and it sounds like it's starting to happen, is let's get them introduced through the Payne Stewart Kids Golf uh, Camps and Clinics. Um, they don't have to worry about equipment. We've got everything here. Let's get them excited and jazzed up. But now as we get ready for them to transition to the next part, now we need to have these partners come in and say, okay, you know what, we're going to make it more affordable so that groups that typically may not have had access can now have access. Um, and that's what right. really has needed to happen. And, and it sounds like that's what you guys are working towards and, and are affecting um, through your organization is let's get them interested first in the game and then let's come together and find ways, creative ways that we can develop the industry and such to keep it going because you're right there's nothing worse you get them all you know hot and bothered about playing t-ball but then they can't go to the next level because they either can't afford right. it or what have you it's not there for them um am i on course with with what you're yeah no absolutely, basically absolutely. doing yeah and I, I yeah i think you know from um you know the development side of things and part of the reason tracy stewart asked to start up the foundation is that 62 percent of american families that can't afford it and a lot of them are the minority kids that uh, don't have the ability to do that. And so from the existing groups that are out there in the industry, who can we partner with that is going to solve that issue? If we were relying mm-hmm. to then start up new locations and things, it would take us forever to do it. So we got to partner with groups that are already out there. And so we have an alliance with uh, Boys and Girls Club of America. Right. So uh, PGA had a, a, an alliance with them for a couple of years, but then backed out of it. And so we've picked yeah. it up, and uh, there's a guy there named Kurt Douglas who uh, works with them there, and he's from the PGA. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're working with him now on now that we've been in five locations, we, we're going to be introducing 50 new locations starting in September, five new locations a month. And so that's what we're in the process of getting raising money for and getting funded. But if we really want to introduce more minority kids and girls to the game of golf, they already have 4,700 locations that are out there that we can partner with and introduce that. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, a great way, and there's a lot of great athletes that have come out of boys and girls clubs. Um, and so, you know, we're excited to be their partner in, uh, you know, exposing more, more kids at that age uh, into the neighborhoods that they're already a part of. Yeah, and, and just to sort of throw some reality, <clears throat> excuse me, into the discussion, you know, based on what you're just talking about, um, you know, as, as rich of a nation as the U.S. is, it's surprising to hear that over 62% of families in the U.S., 
cannot afford um, many youth sports. And so the Boys Club of America has really obviously has stepped up over the years, and now with your partnership is helping to bridge that gap, at, at, as you mentioned, you know, over 4,700 uh, clubs across the country. And this also includes uh, affiliated military youth centers uh, around the world. So you're now really coming into an area um, with and partnering with an organization that has an established network and bringing something new, if you will, for these youngsters to, you know, to partake in, if you will, and uh, I, I think it's a, a really a, a great thing, and I think it's something, you know, I've talked about for many years. I've been in the industry for over 25 years, and, you know, I love this game, love the, you know, the sport, and love, you know, hitting that white ball around the around the golf course. Yep. But one of yep. the pet peeves I've always had is, you know, not everybody has access, unlike many other sports. Right. And we've got to find a way to do that, and I, I really uh, commend you and, and Kelly and, and the rest of the team and Wally, I've, who I've had on the show before as well, for really stepping up and, and having the foresight to, to recognize that if they truly want to grow this game and make it inclusive for everybody uh, and anybody that wants to play this, we have to make it so that it's accessible because that has been one of the drawbacks and it has to be affordable because if, if you don't have those two components, then you limit it to um, um, an, an elite platform, if you will, and that, I know from talking to people personally, that has been one of the things that has steered them away is the fact that it's not affordable and it's not accessible to everyone, uh, and that's why they stick with some of the more traditional sports that, uh, that you know, we've talked about and others as well. So I applaud you guys and your team for really stepping up and obviously um, for the uh, foundation in what you're doing, helping to, to raise uh, funds. Now, I want to ask you something. Uh, I'm reading through some of the notes here, and it looks like in, in September uh, there's something going on uh, in Dallas. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we uh, have an annual uh, golf tournament uh, that we started last year, and uh, so this is our second annual what we call skin in the game um tournament mm -hmm. and so it's at uh it's at the uh dallas cowboy golf club let me just pull up to just make sure i'm um yes yes it is speaking with the yeah so um yeah so uh it's uh gonna be we're gonna have some uh great individuals uh some um, great celebrities and everything that are going to be there, but we're teaming with a group called uh, SkinView. So SkinView is mm. a uh, group that is early detection for skin cancer. So uh, we're teaming up with them to run this event. And so, um, you know, it's, so it, be it skin health or kids health, we're just asking people to come and join us for the day for some great networking you know, with some industry leaders in healthcare, professional sports, and, and many other industries. So it'll be a fun day. We'll have some, you know, definitely some cowboy, some cowboy alumni that's out there. And the, the head mm -hmm. of the NFL alumni is, is out of Dallas there, too. So we'll be having some uh, great people that's there. But, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so we're, uh, you know, we have 100 uh, limit capacity for people to come and join us. But, uh um, if you're in the area, we'd love to see you there at uh, um, the Cowboy Golf Club on September 21st. 
Well, it sounds like a great uh, opportunity for, for those that uh, are able to attend, and I think it's, uh, again, for a worthy cause. You know, it, it's always interesting to me, and, and really, you know, so many other industries, and, and particularly in professional sports, do a lot of things to um, help, you know, local communities, uh, giving back to various charities and things like that. But um, really nobody, I, and, and this has been proven, uh, does it to the extent that the the uh, something about the game of golf? I don't know what it is. I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, but the golf industry as a whole, uh, all components of it, not just the PGA of America and so on, um, really has done a great job over the decades of really building um, and helping you know foster growth in, in communities, not just in the game, but just in other areas as well. From uh, health services and things, just with with the money that's been raised through charities. Um, what's interesting, and I want to touch back on this a little bit too, because um, you mentioned this, and I know this was important to to Payne because he talked about it quite often uh, during uh, you know his time, and that was faith. You mentioned that 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 was very important to him, um, and probably now more so than ever, uh, I think it's important for these young kids to really have an understanding and some of the things that, that were important to him, uh, he wanted to express, and this is why, of course, his wife uh, gave her blessing. This is something that they wanted to make sure moving forward um, that it continued. And you guys are doing that. Maybe, again, can touch a little bit on that, what you're doing there. And, and then also we can sort of roll into the family, um, how we're making it uh, that the families are, are taking part really together in this whole process. So maybe we can touch on the faith first and then move into uh, to how the family unit can also uh, benefit from this. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, Payne uh, was, was a changed man over time. I mean, as, uh, uh-huh. you know, Payne in his early years, uh, you know, just was a little bit, uh, you know, flamboyant and everything in, in what he did and, you know, just had some, you know, run-ins and everything with the media. Tracy was definitely one person that, that calmed him down, but it was also his right. kids. And, you know, it was in Orlando there where they uh, ended up sending their kids to a Christian school, and they mm-hmm. brought home some principles and that pain, you know, really began to understand and I guess actually uh, started to go to a uh, – um, a Bible study with Oral Hershiser, and it was through mm-hmm. a, a study with Oral Hershiser that he really began to develop and build his faith along with the rest of his family. So faith became a very important component. He became more composed, and, you know, there's books that are out there that, you know, kind of tell the story of the transition of pain from who he was to what he became, and, you know, Tracy has her own book that's out there that, that really details a lot of how he became a, a man of faith and how family was very important to him. So if you look at photos of him in the 1999 U.S. Open, or even the 91 um, U.S. Open, which, you know, those two U.S. Opens that he won, he was there all with his family. And so, um, you know, that was a very important component to him, but uh, it was truly his faith that grounded him. And in the uh, uh, plane crash when he you know, when it went down in, at the end of 1999 there, he had his WWJD bracelet that his son Aaron gave to him that he was no mm-hmm. longer ashamed to talk about his faith but had it on public display. And so yeah, that, was, right. that was a key component to, to him and something that we as a group 
want to make sure that we're carrying on that legacy of pain. So uh, that that's an important element to us. So it's you know the faith, the family, and the fun uh, aspect. Uh, so um, you know we, we our signatures on all of our emails is live inspired. I mean, pain was a man that lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, fully inspired, and so that's kind of what drives us to do what we do. So that we we are inspired not only in doing what we're doing, but you know that we're grounded in the faith that we have in carrying these things out. Yeah, and I think it's important. You know, really, uh, you know, it's one thing to build character as a golfer. I mean, we obviously want to, uh, you know, be. Um, good stewards of the game when we're out there playing we want to be honest and and uh forthright and and uh, everything from keeping score and and obviously playing a, you know what what has uh, you know always been referred to as a, a gentleman's game and and that's meant not necessarily you know in um uh just gentlemen but but just that, that sort of mentality of you know let's be gentlemanly uh um, or good stewards of the game when we're out there and and uh and you know obviously have fun but um, and I think that's important that you're able to do that before you're really getting into the fundamentals of the actual game. You're you're really touching on through the faith part of it and, and so forth, the really fundamentals of life. And this is yep. something, as as you pointed out, has had, you know, obviously uh, Tracy was instrumental in, in getting, you know, pain on, uh, helping to, to get him on a, a little better track, shall we say, and and I remember mm-hmm. actually in some interviews very early on before he had passed, um, he talked about that um, very openly and was very proud of it. And, uh, you know, he was always a, a great guy and, and, and so forth. But, um, it, you know, once that transition for him started to come to fruition, it was very important. So I can understand her wanting to, to sort of keep that, that part of his spirit moving forward. Um, and obviously the family component, that was something, I mean, it, you know, you you had to be living under a rock if you didn't know that Payne Stewart loved his his children. I mean, he was very open about that as well, uh, the importance of family, and that's why, he, you know, they trounced around with him, if you will, to uh, many, if not, I don't know if they went to all of the events, but certainly to a good many of the events, uh, he was always, um, you know, uh, they were on display and, and uh, you know, there with him celebrating and, and uh, you know, whether it was the wins or, or even in the, the losses. So, again, these are things, and, and he always had that charisma of fun, you know, even in the worst of times, um, you know, he always had that spirit. So I can understand having faith, family, and fun as, as really sort of a mantra, if you will, uh, at the, uh, the foundation. Um, what is it that you want for most of the listeners out here to really take away from tonight's discussion? What is it most that you want them to understand? And moving forward, um, what can they do um, besides participating in the clinics and things, because uh, obviously you know you have to keep it going through fundraising. Are there opportunities that they can get involved to help um, uh, finance the foundation and that to allow future generations of, of kids? Are there things that you can do? Maybe you can uh, touch on that a little bit too. Yeah, well, I will. And let me. I'm going to step back one more thing that you were talking about, sure. Payne. But um, the PGA also has the Payne Stewart Award. PGA Tour, and mm-hmm. so that's, you know, the lasting legacy of pain. So if you look at coming full circle, the pain Tour award is given to the player who values aligned with charity, character, and sportsmanship. And so that legacy continues on, that anybody receives that. It's kind of the, 
uh, charity character and sportsmanship that's there. So, you know, that's that's part of what we want to make sure that um, parents understand from our perspective is that, um, you know, there are our parents that want to get their kids active and healthy, and that's a definite benefit of what we're trying to do. We start off our camps with, you know, uh, getting the kids wiggled out, letting them just, you know, run around and have a little bit of fun before we get into the the specific elements of training on putting, chipping, pitching, and full swing, and giving kids learning rhymes so that they learn those elements. But then we take a break. There's two times that we take a break throughout the three-hour uh, time period, and it's to sit down and have a conversation about what is the virtue of the day. So the first day is talking mm-hmm. love. And so what is, you know, what is the story of love? What does love mean? And having kids talk mm-hmm. about, you know, what do they love? And you know, just engaging in that conversation. So when the kids go home, they're talking about love to their parents, and they can see that it's not only about golf, but it's also about um, a human trait and a character that we want to see in our kids. So no matter if you're Christian mm-hmm. or not, parents want their kids right. to instill these virtues. So um, we call them life virtues. And so, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're, um, you know, speaking the language to a culture that uh, is open and engaging, that they're not standoffish because we are faith-based in what we do. We want to, you know, teach the elements of character-building virtues that every parent would want for their kids. So mm-hmm. we're very affordable also. So, I mean, um, each of the camps that we're doing through churches and churches based on their uh, location in their areas charge the pr- different prices uh, based sure. on the surrounding communities that can do it. So, I mean, if you go to, to a typical golf camp, um, you know, those are $350, you know, for us. Mm-hmm. There are churches that are charging $95 to $145. So, I mean, it's half. Of right. what a, a right. normal camp would be. So, um, so in that, um, but then again, for those 62% of American families that can't afford it, we do offer scholarship opportunities and you know fully funded mm-hmm. programs through boys and girls clubs and those other things. So, you know, it's important for us that uh, you know parents understand uh, where it is in the locations that we're doing. So at uh, .org, um and uh, that's. Uh, the website, paintsure.org, there's information about uh, who we are as an organization. There's opportunities to make donations. There's a, a donate button that's there. Uh, but most importantly, if there's a parent, um, you know, interested in a camp for their kids in a specific area, they can put that into the contact information. Hey, I'm looking for a camp in this area, and I'll send it off to Colby or Nick, and they'll be able to um, you know, direct these families of where the closest camp is that's there. If there's not one in their area, you know, we encourage them to have a conversation with their church to get in co- into contact with us so that they can run mm-hmm. a camp. And so um, we provide complete training, um, curriculum, equipment, and everything that it takes for a church to completely execute and run a, a golf camp. So. Most of the churches we deal with have, um, you know, sports ministries. And so, right. you know, it's important for us. And, and part of the ADM model talks about consistent quality coaching throughout the learning process. Um, we found mm-hmm. out through the first year that, uh, that the trainers for kids in that four to seven age range are people that are better attuned to child development than they are at knowing golf. 
And so, right. you know, there's always that thing, well, I don't know how to teach a kid a golf swing. You don't have to know that. We, we have the curriculum that lets you teach kids how to, you know, do the, the, the circle swing and everything through games. And so it's not the detail and, and the unawareness of how to play golf. It's actually those people that understand how to deal with four- and five-year-olds do better at, at these. And so partnering with groups like that. Uh, is very important to us that, uh, you know, we don't need a PGA professional training a four-year-old. And sometimes right. that gets in the way because they're <laughs> so concerned about, oh, you you know, just, you know, your, your, your hold is wrong, your stance is wrong, and just, you know, right. let, let's get over that. And, you know, and part of the other elements that we do is multi-sport. We have disc golf through frisbees, foot golf through soccer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a multi-sport right. element that kids understand dis- distance and direction. So, that's an important element for us also is that we're getting kids understanding what distance and direction is, that if you kick the ball too hard, it's going to go way past the net. You've got to bring it all the way back, so you've got to be controlled in that, mm-hmm. which is also you know, controlling your, your leg is basically an extension of a golf club so that you understand you don't have to swing it all the way back and get it all the way back because you're going to go way past the net. So um, it's just those little elements and getting kids to have fun. So that's the biggest thing I want. Um, you know, parents that are listening out there that have young kids or um, grandparents that have young kids that, you know, want to get them involved in golf that, you know, we've got programming for them that's out there in 90 different locations. Check out Skyhawks. Um, and mm-hmm. if that's in their, your area, they now have the Brandon Payne Stewart learning program that we fully train them and have the equipment and everything on there. So, um, and then there's also Fit America that we've also partnered with. Fit America is going into schools, so you mentioned schools mm-hmm. um, to right. do. So they their golf program is Paint Stewart, uh, you know, kids um, golf experience. So we've got some great partners, and we're expanding uh, to get more and more of those in that age group all the time. So um, you know, get on PaintStewart.org, and if you're looking for something in a specific area, we're eventually going to have a uh, a uh, actual map with all the different locations. So now that we're, you know, a c- couple years into this, uh, there's a whole new website that's coming up here in about uh, four weeks that will have a map and everything. But we don't have that right now. So, and and just to sort of quickly recap. So if, uh, as an example, if there's a church, um, if somebody's listening to the show and there's a church in their area that currently doesn't offer it, they can certainly encourage them to get in touch with your organization. And if they're interested in maybe pursuing uh, having that available at their, um, you know, uh, facility, what have you, you'll help them work through the process to get that lined up uh, for some of their uh, uh, kids that, you know, attend their, their churches that will give them an opportunity. So they can get in touch. The same with any other uh, organizations that maybe want to uh, uh, do that as well. Simply just direct them to the website, uh, painstuart.org, and get in touch with uh, somebody at your uh, organization and you'll help uh, help them get through the process, correct? Yep. So, yeah, go to paintstore.org and on the contact uh, page, put in your information and we'll get it. And uh, either uh, Nick Anderson or Colby Morris will uh, follow up with them and give them all the details that they need to know what it is to run a Paintstore uh, golf experience. Well, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, really, you know, as I, I listen to you and, and look through some of the information, really the, the, the game of golf itself is, is really a vessel that you're using to um, really develop um, 
uh, a healthy life, if you will, for, for children. And what better way to do it than through something that obviously Payne himself loved. It was a game and sport that he uh, obviously made a career of, but he enjoyed a lot. And, you know, golf teaches so many life lessons on its own, uh, you know, both on and off the golf course, um, as we can see this weekend with the U.S. Open. We'll watch some of the best players uh, in, in the men's uh, side of things. But really, you guys have found a, a very effective way of, of bringing golf in um, to a demographic, if you will, not just age, but uh, demographic in um, with some of the minority groups and things like that that maybe not have had an opportunity to uh, to experience that, and you're doing it in a way that's going to be affordable um, for them, which is something this industry has needed for a long time. So again, kudos to um, all of the, the members of the, uh, the Payne Stewart uh, Kids uh, Golf Foundation. Um, I think uh, well, I think we can we can leave thank it. Thank you for that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I just thank my you pleasure. Know, thank you for that, and it's you know it's it's definitely one of those things that uh, you know we we want golf to look like the neighborhoods that are, that you know the kids are in. So you know, right now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, golf still um, has a demographic yeah. that's out of balance, and so you know through what we're doing. Um, you know, we encourage others to kind of get involved in doing the same things, but get in your local communities uh, and, you know, find ways of getting kids engaged. And there's just a passion about golf. I mean, you know, as you know, and everybody that's probably listening to this has some type of passion for golf. And so if you mm-hmm. look back at, you know, there's um, all great athletes end up playing golf. You know, you, you look at, you know, right. no matter if you're a basketball player, or football player, you know, when they're done with their Baseball, career, yeah. they're playing golf. Yeah, and so right. golf is a lifetime <laughs> sport. So, you know, if you if yeah. you end up playing golf, why not start with it? And so, you know, mm-hmm. Kelly likes to tell the story that, you know, hey, if some of these kids, if Michael Jordan may have been exposed at a boys and girls club to golf, he may have been the greatest golfer along with Tiger uh, in doing yep. that. And so, you know, that's what we want to do is, you know, create some great athletes going through boys and girls clubs and, you know, fit schools, you know, getting exposed to just playing and having fun with golf. And they have to first be exposed to it, let them have fun, and then they continue on their journey with all the other programs that are already existing out there. So we're just grateful that yeah. we're, we've been able to be blessed to step in a space here that nobody's uh, been doing because really dealing with kids four to six years old is hard. And so, you know, you really yes. have to understand kids and get them to let them have fun, which is why nobody stepped into it. And so we're, we're blessed yeah, it, to be there. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's definitely, I mean, you know, there's, there's the odd, uh, you know, pro that's tried to do something, um, you know, in their local community, uh, certainly not to the level that you are. But, and, and the problem that, again, the industry has had is it's never been organized and really what you guys have right. done is you've organized an effective program that now can be replicated, uh, you know, across the country under, you know, obviously the umbrella of, of the Payne Stewart uh, Foundation, but um, gives them a, a benchmark to work from, um, which has not been yeah. here, um, and I can, I can attest to it. Um, and, and you're right. It's just, you know, getting them exposed to it, letting them get out and have fun without, you know, making it so complicated because golf can be challenging um, let them have fun first, and then let them choose at the, how, what level or what direction they want to pursue. But it's getting them exposed to it and, and letting them see and get a taste, if you will, um, whether or not uh, they're ever going to get into the game. 
And, you know, that's been the biggest problem, the biggest hurdle to get over. So, again, kudos to you and your team uh, and the rest of them there uh, for for finding and and helping to close this loophole because it has been uh, far. And and if I can add one more final thing before we wrap up is, uh, you know, it's been very, very challenging over the last couple of years for everybody with, with what's going on around the globe. And one thing that we can see happening is golf has really elevated uh, because it was one of the few things that we could do during this pandemic. Um, so this is really an opportunity for the industry to step up um, because we've talked about growing the game for, for over a decade. Um, and here we've got an opportunity where the game is growing naturally because of, um, you know, just the circumstances. I hope that they will take advantage of this opportunity in a good way and utilize programs like you're offering uh, through the foundation and really truthfully grow the game beyond what it's gone before, not just in size or numbers, but into areas that have never gone in before uh, and don't blow it. That's my greatest fear. Right. So um, I, I hope you guys yeah. will continue to, you know, to keep doing what you're doing and getting the word out there, and I'm happy to help in any way that I can um, as well. But uh, I appreciate yeah, no, you coming on, Dan. Go ahead. Yeah, so that, that's greatly appreciated. And there's just uh, we've also uh, teamed up with Club Corp with it's now invited. Um, that's going to be right. doing an effort at the end of August uh, to raise funds for the Painsford Kids Golf Foundation through their club. So, you know, they understand the right. importance of developing diversity in their communities. And so, if they're a Club Corp mm-hmm. member, look for that. Uh, uh, announcement that be coming out to, to how they can help support the Painter Kids Golf Foundation during the last weekend of August. That's when the Painter Award is out. There's a lot of awareness, and we're also working with sure. a group at Troon on how do we get into their uh, passing kids on to uh, the municipal courses and everything that they're doing. So you know, there's there's a lot of the industry that loves what we're doing and, and working together to how we can keep the kids engaged uh, and everything. So you know if there's the others that are out there that are you know, find ways to, like, hey, we'd love to team with you. You know, give me uh, contact information. I'd love to talk with you with how we can uh, team up to do good for kids because that, that's our focus is we're not here to build up our own. We really want to see mm-hmm. lives of kids changed because all kids deserve to play golf. I, I couldn't agree more. And it all begins, uh, I believe, with the click of a mouse. So go to org. All of the information is there that we've talked about and more. And if you're interested, whether you be a church organization or maybe just a parent, grandparent that wants to find out more about getting uh, your little ones introduced to the game, this is a great way to start um, for them to have fun, and that's really what it's all about. So go to PayneStewart.org and get all the information there. Dan, thank you very much again uh, for coming on. Uh, You guys are always welcome to come on here uh, when you've got some things that you'd like to share. Um, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I've said this for many, many years. This is something that the industry has needed, and uh, you guys are really stepping up. And um, I, I only wish that Payne was here to, to be able to witness it uh, in person, but uh, I'm sure he's, uh, he's watching from above and um, is, is very pleased with what you guys have, have done. And um, yeah. thank you for yeah. what you're doing. Aaron and, Aaron and, and uh, Chelsea, are, are they're watching us. And uh, Chelsea is actually sending mm-hmm. her son to one of our golf camps in Texas. So um, the, the Stewart family is involved, and we're, we're truly blessed to, to carry on his legacy. So thank you for having me on. I, I greatly appreciate uh, the airtime, and um, just have a, a true blessed Father's Day. All right. You as well. 
Uh, Dan Anderson, COO and CMO and development coach at the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation. Thank you very much. God bless and keep up the great work. And uh, I look forward to having you come back again on a future uh, program here on Golf Talk Live. Have a great weekend, Dan. You do the same. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, that was Dan Anderson, the COO, CMO, and development coach at the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation. Uh, again, you can go to paynestewart.org to get more information uh, about uh, their programs. I think it's great uh, to introduce uh, youngsters to the game, uh, but in a fun way, uh, not overwhelming them too much. All of the information is there, and I'm certainly going to be passing that along, uh, that website and that, to uh, to my local church uh, and churches in the area and getting them involved as well. I think the more, the merrier. Uh, we'll see what we can do to help really grow this game in, in a positive way and, and make it inclusive so that everybody has the opportunity to play because it is a great game. It is, as Dan uh, said, a, a game of a lifetime, uh, but the first step is to uh, introduce it to everybody and let them make the choice from there how they want to move forward. All right, thanks, everybody, uh, for joining me this evening. Again, a special thanks to Jamie uh, Leno-Zimron and Sue Weger for doing a great job on the Coach's Corner panel a little bit earlier. And again, a special thanks to my guest this evening, Dan Anderson from the Payne Stewart uh, Kids Golf Foundation. God bless everybody. Again, for those fathers out there, uh, or for those of you listening that want to get Dad a great gift, uh, you can go to golftipsmag.com. That's golftipsmag.com. And uh, click on the print subscription and enter promo code GOLFTIPS21. And uh, you'll get 30% uh, or more uh, off of the subscription, the annual subscription price. And it makes a great gift for Dad. And there's also a digital version as well. Uh, you can save on that too. Uh, so if you want to do that route, you can also do that as well. But have a great weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. God bless everybody, and I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.